0: Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church. I wasn't going to do this sermon this week or today, but was up praying this morning and, uh, it hit me what's going on in the country and Revelation 5. I'm like, oh my goodness, they're connected. So, uh, the Spirit woke me up early. I'm not going to tell you how. We had a wet bed. A bed- <laughs> The baby and the, the baby crawled in and well, anyway, we're not going there. But the title for today is Jesus Christ for President, Revelation 5, 1 to 7. You never know how God's going to wake you up or, or move, right? So the election's going on, this huge battle, it's crazy. Republicans are contesting the election over the irregularities cheating they say uh the democrats are democrats are howling how dare you do this that's just treason to to contest the election you're trying to destroy our democracy the same people, these are the very same people who the last four years have spent the last four years and millions of dollars trying to overturn the 2016 election. And, and, and these are the same people who claim Roman, uh, Roman, Russian collusion, uh, Russian collusion, which turned out to be a hoax based on the fake steel dossier, which they knew was a fake. Uh, the, the people who brought it forward knew it was a fake. You talk about hypocrisy, what they're saying. But, hey, the Republicans have uh, been hip- hypocritical also. Because Because they are the ones who said you can't contest the 2016 election. They're doing the same thing. They, they criticize. Uh, so we see both sides. There's some hypocrisy on both sides. But really, at the end of the day, we see God dividing us. It's part of the judgment that I've been talking about. God is dividing us. And whatever's going to divide us more, God's going to do. I really believe that. I'm seeing that. The week ahead looks like it could get even crazier. Neither side wants to accept the other side's president. We might just end up with two presidents and two countries. The divided states of America. We've been talking about that. Division is is one of the signs of God's judgment in God's Word, uh, prophetically. <clears throat> I can't predict what the re- end result will be, but I can promise you this. I can promise you this, that nothing will truly change the United States. Nothing's going to change this world. Nothing's going to change our lives until we give Jesus Christ control of our lives of our country, of this world. Nothing's going to change until we give Jesus control. That's why the title is Jesus Christ for President. We're going to see in Revelation 5 today that Jesus is already in control. He's already the king of the universe. The question is, will we surrender to that? He's already the king of the universe. Remember this. Remember this. No matter what happens in our country the next few days or the next few weeks, it doesn't really matter who is finally elected president because we as Christians, doesn't matter to us as Christians because we worship the king. We worship the king of the universe. Remember that no matter what happens, no false hope either way, we worship the king. Revelation 5 tells us why only Jesus can truly change our country. Truly change the world. Truly change our hearts and our lives. Remember, this is a scene of heaven. God is getting ready to judge the earth. The second coming is very close, which we believe is happening even now, but it's very close here in the book of Revelation, the final chapter of human history. Let's see what happens. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. We pray for your mercy and grace. We pray for your Holy Spirit's power to come upon your word now. Lord, we just pray that this would prepare us for what we're facing in our lives, what we're going to face in this country. Please prepare us and refocus us, realizing that it doesn't matter. It only matters what's going on in heaven, on the throne. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's read the passage here. It's the Lamb and the Scroll, Revelation 5, verse 1. I'm going to read the first seven verses. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals." Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So here we go, the lamb and the scroll. Verse 1, I'm going to read it again. <clears throat> the scroll is in is in God's hands. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. The scroll is in God's hand. There's there's no there were no books in the New Testament time. There were only scrolls that were rolled up, okay? And to read it, you had to unroll the scroll. This is sealed with seven Seals, seven seals. They would seal these scrolls with a wax seal, and then they would imprint it. There was a ring. The king had a ring. He would imprint it. Or the official had a ring. He would imprint it. That was used to keep the seals, the the scrolls sealed up. And secret until the one who had the authority to read it opened it. That would be sent to someone or saved somewhere. And someone had to have the authority, had to have the same ring, and fit it into the same wax seal, and they could open it. And in Roman law, remember this, in Roman law, with an inheritance, there were seven seals. The, the scroll that was rolled with the inheritance rules, there were seven wax seals on that one. So remember this, okay? Because this is what we're going to get to here. Now, what was written on this scroll? What was written on the scroll? doesn't say, but remember we studied the book of Daniel that was leading into the revelation. They fit hand in glove. And in the book of Daniel, we saw the end of the book of Daniel. Daniel was talking about the secret of the events of the last days of the planet Earth. And in Daniel chapter 4, this is what Daniel was told, but you, Daniel, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, but you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase in knowledge. Verse 9, he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. So we know that this was the events that are going to happen at the end, right before Jesus comes again. The secret of the events of the last days of the planet Earth and the the uh, the rest of Revelation... The rest of the revelation, the secret of the scroll is, is open throughout the rest of Revelation. We're gonna see what's gonna happen. There are judgments, the seven scroll judgments. The judgments and the coming kingdom are all explained in the rest of Revelation. We're gonna see all this in the scroll as it's unrolled. And we, we now, we know from Daniel, we know from Revelation, we know from our study in Mark 13, Matthew 24, we know that history passed, present and future are in God's hands he already knows what's going to happen he has decided what's going to happen uh, so we know history past present and future are in God's hands and so we we come we see the scroll and now we see the problem with the scroll chapter revelation 5 verse 2 and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll but no one in in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. The problem is... They needed someone with the authority to open it, with the same ring imprint, with the same authority to open it. It's like having today; it'd be like having a computer with with uh, with the answers to something that you really need the answers to, but but you need to call in a computer expert, someone who can come in and crack the code and get you into the computer. But the scroll here, no one was found worthy, not in heaven or earth or under the earth, not in heaven earth or hell. No one was worthy to open the scroll. No one is able to... No one is worthy. No one is able... Think about this with our world today. No one is able to, to change the crisis facing mankind today. As we're going to see as we go through, there's going to be someone who's going to claim they have the answers, the Antichrist, but only Jesus Christ has the answer. No one is able to change the crisis, solve these world problems, unfurl the scroll and, and, and get to the end of, of the problem. Not, the, not a president or a politician, not the pope or a religious leader. No one can solve this. No Nobody, as we're going to see as we go through the book of Revelation, and John, because no one could open the scroll, no one could solve the problem, no one could solve the the mystery, John begins to weep and wail. Well, he weeps and weeps. He wants to see the end of the movie. He's watching uh, the future in 3D, and all of a sudden, you know, the brakes are put on. He hasn't gotten to chapter 21. He doesn't know what's going to happen yet. He just knows that the movie, something happened to the movie. It it, it froze. Right? The 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 DVD froze, that he's watching, and he wants to see God's purpose in history. What's going to happen? He wants to see God's purpose in history completed. completed. But if no one is found that can open the scroll and the seals, if no one is found worthy of doing that, the world is going to be stuck in its present form, the same fallen form, the same sinful form, under under Satan's attacks, uh, under sin, under The curse of death. We're going to be stuck in this endless suffering is we're going to be stuck in. You you think of the Hindu religion and, and the, you talk to the Hindus and, and the life is just this reincarnation, reincarnation, suffering, suffering. There's no end to it. And that is a, we know that's not true, but that is a picture of what the earth faces if someone doesn't solve the sin problem, doesn't solve the suffering problem. And so John is, 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 Crying about that. But then he gets the answer. Verse 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Who is this? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has the victory. He has triumphed. He has the victory over sin, over Satan, over death itself. And now he can complete God's master plan. The plan can now move forward. The, the, The plan of redemption can move forward. He says he is the Lion of Judah The root of David, these are both messianic terms. In the Old Testament, the the Messiah was promised that would save the world and rule the world. He said he has triumphed. The Messiah has triumphed. We know this is Jesus Christ. He has triumphed. He is victorious. The the Greek word is nakao, which is where we get Nike, Nike from, if you ever wore a Nike shoe. I'm not going to go there. They've gone off the rails. But anyway, I've worn lots of Nike shoes in the past, and and uh that that's the where you get the word that's victory, alright? Now John is looking for the lion, the who has triumphed, and he gets a surprise. When he looks for the lion who has triumphed, he gets a surprise. Then I saw a lamb. Ooh, what happened to the lion? I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So, he he's looking for the lion and he, and he ends up finding a lamb. This The lamb is the favorite description of Jesus Christ for himself in the book of Revelation. This is his favorite description. It's what he's most proud of. The lamb, what happened to the lion? Well, they're both there. The, the lamb is the lion. He's both. Jesus was both. That's That's why in the... The the Jews in the Old Testament, they thought there were going to be two messiahs, both a lion and a lamb, both a conquering and suffering messiah. They thought there were going to be two messiahs. They didn't realize that there was the same messiah coming twice, the first and second coming. The lamb, the lion was also the lamb, the lamb who was slain, it says here. The lamb who was slain here. It literally means, the word literally for slain is to have its throat cut have its throat cut. That's how you would sacrifice the lamb. They would place their hands on the lamb's head. The throat was cut. It would bleed out and die while you're gripping a hold because you had symbolically placed your sins on that lamb. And that's a picture of what happened to Jesus on the cross. John 1, 29, when John the Baptist, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the ultimate Lamb. He was the final sacrifice. Sacrifice once for all, book of Hebrew. Sacrifice once for all. He was the final sacrifice. And that's what Jesus came to do, to die for us. Isaiah 53, prophetic of Jesus, 700 years before his birth, his death, his resurrection. And listen to what it says here in Isaiah 53. Th- three verses six and seven where it says we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shares is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Why? Jesus Jesus had to be sacrificed. Why was he sacrificed? Back up to verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus died in our place for our our sins, the, 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 the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is clearly taught in Isaiah 53. Many, many Jews are now believers, completed Jews, messianic Jews because of this chapter, powerful. Irrefutable that Jesus, the Messiah, was gonna die for our sin and then resurrect from the dead. It's all in Isaiah 53, a powerful, if you have Jewish friends or if you are Jewish yourself, read it, study it. There is only Jesus could possibly have fulfilled this. He is the Messiah. The Jewish Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and the Gentile Messiah, Gentile Messiah also. And why did he do this? He did this. God sent his one and only son to die for us, to save us from our sin, to pay for our sin. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection for us, if we put our faith in him, we can be saved for our, from our sins and restored to God. And that's what Jesus, he is the lamb who is slain. He has triumphed. And it says also here in I, uh, Revelation 5, talking about the same lamb, talking about Jesus, said he has seven horns. Now I had sheep. <laughs> the lamb only has two. But this one has seven Horns. And that is a picture in the Bible prophetically of power, of complete omnipotence. That's why the seven horns are a picture of a perfect power, of omnipotence, the omnipotence of Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. It also says he has seven eyes. And in the Bible, seven is perfect, and the eyes are a picture of seeing everything. This is his omniscience. This is the omniscience of Jesus Christ. Now, we know only God is omnipotent and omniscient, and yet here we see Jesus is that. That's because he's the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. He's the God-man. And the seven eyes we see in Zechariah in Zechariah 4 with the story of Zerubbabel and the prophecy about Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple. And once again, he's a type of Jesus. But uh, the Zerubbabel, listen to what it says here. So he said to me, uh, Zechariah 4, verse 6, So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. This is the prophet I, Zechariah speaking. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 10, once again, Prophetic about Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line of the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven eyes are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. So the seven eyes are symbolic of God's omniscience and seeing everything and and be able to see everything. And Jesus has the same omniscience. Verse 7 then we see Revelation Chapter 5 verse 7 where it comes to the happy conclusion to what we're looking to look at today. Verse 7, He came, the Lamb, He came and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. Jesus takes the scroll. He was found worthy. He takes the scroll. He unleashes the final chapter of human history. He unleashes the judgments, the seven scroll judgments. It's all part of God's battle plan to take back the planet Earth and give it back to humankind, uh, just as Adam was given it at the beginning. And lost it. He's going to give it to the God Man, Jesus Christ, the the ultimate Adam, the fulfillment of Adam, and he will never lose it. Let's connect the dots. We are watching here the final scene of human history and the final scene of the history of redemption. It started in Genesis and it ends in the book of Revelation. We see God's story of redemption of man's fall, but then God's redemption. What was lost in Genesis 3? What was lost? And then we, let's look at what was gained back, what was restored by redemption through Jesus Christ. Man, number one, man lost his soul. He was separated from God. He faced an eternity in hell because of the fall, because of sin. But redemption, what was restored is that we can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, man lost his body. He now faced death. Death came into the, the world and suffering came into the world. You know, why does God allow? We brought it. We brought it. We brought the disease. We spread the pandemic of sin and suffering and death. We did it. And we continue to do it with our sin. But man lost his body through death. But now through Jesus Christ we can be resurrected. We can have a new body and a new life in heaven someday with Jesus. Number three, man lost the earth. He turned over control of the earth to Satan. He lost his authority. But Jesus, the God-man, the second Adam, takes back the earth and he completes it at his second coming. It began at the cross and he completes it at the second coming, which we're going to see here in the book of Revelation. He accomplished the first Two things at his first coming through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the third one begins here in Revelation 5 and is going to be completed finally at the second coming. It began at the cross, but the the second phase of it begins here in Revelation 5 and it's completed at the second coming, which we're going to see here in Revelation. The redemption is an old, the word redemption, that concept of redemption is an Old Testament custom. You can see it in the book of Ruth land was very important to the, the Israelites. It was their promised inheritance. It, the, the parallel in the New Testament are the spiritual, the, is the, the spiritual inheritance that we have. The spiritual blessings that we are given. That is the parallel. Remember in the, we study, uh, for those who are in New Hope Community Church, we did the book of Joshua. You can still listen on online to the podcast. But, but Joshua was given a promised land. That is a picture of the spiritual promises that we are promised. Our Joshua, Joshua Joshua is Hebrew, for Jesus is is the Greek. he's He's a picture of Jesus, and he gave the people their land. Jesus is the fulfillment of Joshua, and he gives us our spiritual promises, our spiritual victory. But in the Old Testament, when someone lost their property, they couldn't pay. It was foreclosed. They couldn't pay a loan. It was very, very serious to lose that land, that inheritance. But a close relative, a kinsman redeemer, of Ruth Boaz could come and redeem it. He could buy it back for the heir. For the kinsman. By paying the purchase price. The, the, then the kinsman, after he paid that price, he would roll up the, the scroll, the, the the deed. He would roll it up and seal it and give it to the heir. Who then would take that scroll, open it, because he was given that, and redeem and take back the land. He would take possession of the land that was redeemed by his kinsmen. And sometimes... It was by force because the person who had taken it over didn't want to give it up. The, the person who had taken over, think of the westerns, these wild westerns. When, when someone loses their land, they got to take back their ranch by force with a gun. Often in the Old Testament, they had to take it back by violence. But Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He's our kinsman redeemer. He is the God man who paid the purchase price. And what was the price? His blood, the price of his own blood shed was the ransom, was the purchase price. That was his, his, the violent act that was done to him so that we could get back our, our inheritance so they could have a relationship with God once again. Jesus is not only the kinsman redeemer, but he's also the heir. He's also the heir. He takes the sealed scroll here. He earned it by his perfect sacrifice, by the price that he paid. He takes the scroll. He's the God. Man. That's why the cross is central to human history. It paid the price And it allowed Jesus to take back this planet. It's central to human history. There's a reason why we live in the year 2021 now. Because that's since Jesus, 2021 years. It's Jesus is central to human history. And they can change it to common era. But, well, we all still use 2021. What started the common era? Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what they rename it. And the devil now, because of what Jesus has done, has no right to this planet now. The price has been paid. Justice has been satisfied. Jesus broke his power. In John chapter 12, verse 30, verse 31, Jesus says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. When? Verse 32, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. He defeated the devil on the cross. He defeated the devil on the cross. He began the story of redemption there. But the devil doesn't want to give up this planet. He doesn't want to give up the souls that he wants to be in hell with him. He's he's already been evicted from heaven. We know that. He's already been evicted from heaven. This is the last place in the, in the cosmos available to Satan besides hell. He knows after heaven, he's on earth, and the next step is hell. Wait till we get to the end of the Revelation. That's his last step. So he's hanging on. We'll also see in Revelation <coughs> that Satan, even though he knows he's defeated, he's holding on to a threat of false hope because he, he's, he will see that his Antichrist puppet will be ruling the earth. We'll be ruling the earth, and the masses are gonna follow and take the mark of the beast. They're gonna follow Satan. We're already seeing it happen in our country now. Half the country's already doing it now, or even more than that, right? But we're, we're seeing that happen. We know it's gonna be happening in the whole world. So, he, so he has this false hope even though he knows he's he's defeated. But we see here that Jesus knows it's over. He breaks the seal, the seals of judgment. He has the authority because he's now going to take this planet by force. The rest of Revelation is Jesus taking the planet by force. He has the right to it. He, he, has, he has paid the price with his own blood. And that is our power, the blood of Jesus Christ. And the rest of the book and what we're seeing on this planet right now is Jesus beginning to pour out his the, the the judgments that are going to take back this planet. We see this is happening now and he's going to take it by force. Jesus has never lost a battle to Satan. He won the battle in the desert, in the garden, On the cross, at the tomb, and he's going to win this final battle. Jesus is in total control of history. World history. He's in control of the United States today. Or whatever country you live in. He's in control. He's in control of our lives right this moment. But sometimes it doesn't seem like he is does he? Or we don't know the Bible. We don't see what's really coming. We don't realize that it is God's control. God's purpose. God's battle. Jesus taking back the planet. All the craziness. It's him taking back the, back the planet. Sometimes it doesn't seem like God is in control, does it? Do you ever feel that way? God, are you really in control? The apostle John felt that way before, did you know that? In Matthew 20, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 8. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Listen what it says. Matt John with the other apostles, the other disciples, and Matt, listen what it says. Then Jesus says then he got into the boat we're talking about Jesus calming the storm here. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. Completely calm. John felt this way. What's going on? God, Jesus, where? What's going on? Are you in control or not? What was John really saying here? What were John and the disciples really saying to Jesus here? Mark four thirty-eight parallel passage brings out even another part of it. It says Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion, deep sleep. The disciples woke him and said to him, "Teacher, don't you care if we drowned?" What were they really saying, Jesus? Don't you care? Do you ever feel that way? Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care what's happening in my life? Do you ever feel that way? John did. But Jesus' response was, "You have a little faith. Why are you so afraid?" Jesus had invited them into the boat. He steered them into the storm. Then he went to sleep. He was totally unconcerned. He was teaching them a lesson in faith. This was a faith lesson. He was growing their faith. Is your faith being grown right now? Are you saying, Jesus, where are you? Are you sleeping? Don't you care? Jesus is saying to us, why are you so afraid? He's telling us everything up front. He's telling us what's going to go on. He does the same to us that he did to the apostles, to the twelve. But sometimes we're like them. We freak out. We panic. Sometimes we get so seasick (laughs) from the storm that we miss the faith lessons. We miss out on what he's trying to do in our life and through us. We, we miss out because we get seasick. Nobody who's listening to this, but you probably know someone like that. Uh, it rides, it reminds me of the first time I ever flew in an airplane. We on the farm, we had a friend, Harry, who, uh, Harry Mowinney was his name. I just remembered his last name, and he was he did the the tiling in our fields. He had a machine that tiled the fields and but he also flew airplanes, not just tiling, but he flew airplanes and he uh invited us to go on an airplane ride. so my dad took me and my brother Billy, my older brother Billy, and me and I think it was just the three of us that he the three of us went with Harry. I think maybe my brother Tom, I'm not sure I just remember Billy being there and uh and we went on this little plane, and my dad was so excited because he loved flying, always wanted to be a pilot, and my brother Billy was excited. He loved airplanes, and I was excited because I was going to get to fly an airplane, and it was great. We were flying in the plane, and we flew over the farm, and we saw my brother's, everybody's waving, and we saw it. It looked so cool from up high. I actually have a, <coughs> a picture of our farm. Over the mantle at our house of, of the farm from, from an airplane view. Someone took it, it's just a beautiful sight. Everybody's waving, it was exciting, it was beautiful. But I started getting air sick. I started getting air sick. And everybody else was saying, ooh, ah, so excited and having so much fun. But all I could start to think about was not throwing up. I was really getting sick. And I kept saying, I'm going to throw up. And, and Harry didn't want me throwing up in the plane. And Billy didn't want me throwing up on him. And, and, and we were supposed to be out for hours and we had to cut it short, come back at a, after a really short time. Everybody was so disappointed. You know, it ruined the trip for everybody <laughs> because we missed out on the flight. Why? Because I was, see, ceas- I was air sick air sick. I was I was all I could think about was I'm gonna throw up any second. And so many times that's us. God's got us on this this journey. He's doing something in our life and we're we're seasick. We're focused on uh, on how sick we are on this trip, right? And don't we do the same thing with life's adventures that Jesus is taking us on? Are we living by fear or faith? And the storms of life that Jesus is leading us into, the storms of life that we're facing, the election and the coronavirus, maybe it's our family, our kids, our marriage, maybe it's our job and money and financial pressures, maybe it's the economy, maybe it's a sin struggle or a stronghold that we've been fighting and battling tooth and nail. I hope we're fighting it. And are we facing that with fear or faith? Faith doesn't change the storm. Having faith doesn't change the storm. It doesn't end the storm. Jesus does that in His own good time. Remember? Stands up, be still. In His own good time, when the purpose, the faith lesson is over, when we've learned our lesson, learn it quickly, uh, when we've learned it, but He, but faith doesn't change the storm, but it does change how we handle the storm. That's what it changes, how we handle the storm. Are we gonna white knuckle it? Or are we gonna enjoy the raft ride? <laughs> The wild water rafting, the white water rafting ride. Are we going to see it as a, are we going to, wait, uncle no, what I got to get out of here. Are we going to enjoy the wild ride? We're white water rafting and wow, this is exciting. I wonder what God's going to do next, right? <laughs> are we living by faith? Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are we living by faith? It changes everything. Living by faith. Seeing with faith. Can you live by faith? Have you ever put your faith... The first step is putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. The very first thing that has to happen is we need to put our faith. Have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? Put your faith in Him. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The word believe means to put your faith in. Not intellectual, it's a heart faith. It means to completely trust in what Jesus did on the cross and through His resurrection to give us a new life have you ever put your faith in Jesus let's pray as we go to this time of prayer as we're facing crazy times in this country times that can easily make us afraid how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us maybe Your prayer is a prayer of faith, putting your faith in Jesus. You've never taken that step, surrendered to Jesus, never acted on his redemption, redeeming us, buying us back from sin and death and Satan's power, buying us back from an eternity in hell separated from God. You've never taken that redemption. You've never surrendered your life by putting your faith in Jesus, His death, His resurrection for you. You can do that now. The simple but powerful prayer of faith. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can believe in Jesus right now. God, I, I repent of my sin I turn away from my old life. I, I surrender it to you, God. I ask you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm giving my life to Jesus. My life to Jesus. if you pray that prayer of faith or have prayed that prayer of faith, right this very moment, you have just been redeemed. You have just been set free. You have just been given a brand new life in Jesus Christ that starts this moment and goes out through all of eternity with God someday. You have now been redeemed and you can now live by faith. No matter what you're going through, you can now come to God in faith. And that's who I want to talk to next as we go to this time of prayer. How is God speaking to you? Maybe you've been living by fear. But you need to shift the gear and shift it to faith. Reset the channel. Reset the phone. Reset to to faith. Every day it's a decision. God, I'm not going to live by fear. I'm going to live by faith in the Son of God who died for me and gave Himself for me. I put my... I live by faith. I... Put my faith in you, and I'm going to live by faith in Jesus. That's a gift that we've been given. Father, I pray that every one of us would be living by faith as we move forward in our country and in this world and through the book of Revelations, preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would live by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, wait till we see the rest of chapter 5 gonna get I'm gonna get up early and get that ready for tomorrow morning because oh, it's unbelievable timing for what we're going through okay See you next time.